Hey, this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase them all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For today's episode, we are continuing the education on modalities. And in particular, we're sticking with STEM and we're talking about TENS. I feel like TENS is usually the first one you learn about. Exactly. And I do want to preface that we are actually specifically talking about TENS. We're not talking about IFC or pre-mod. So this is literally basic. Throw on two pads, click biphasic. Like this is basic stuff. Let's do it. So what we're going for here is we're going to review the relevant anatomy related to pain. We'll review how pain is transmitted to the brain, and then we'll just discuss how TENS decreases pain, and present some of the clinical efficacy for TENS. So as we kick this off, the relevant anatomy to pain always is going to start at the smallest level. We're talking about the nociceptors. In particular, the nociceptors that we're going to focus on are the C-fibers and A-deltas. So C-fibers, they're very small, and they're unmyelinated. And the A-deltas are myelinated, and they're a little bit bigger than the C-fibers. We'll explain why that matters after we talk about the mechanoreceptors. So C, small, A-delta, big. Bigger. Bigger. Yes. The next group of neurons that we want to talk about that are relevant to pain are mechanoreceptors, and in this case, the A-betas. These ones are myelinated and very large they are larger than the c fibers and the a delta fibers so this time you can actually say large so in order from largest to smallest it goes a beta a delta and then c yes now the reason that we care about the size of these neurons and if it's myelinated or not is because it really determines how fast a nerve travels and in this case the a a betas travel very fast you'd think that's kind of weird because they're large you'd think larger would be slower yes in what's really crazy about neurons is the larger the diameter of the neuron the faster the signal gets transported it's kind of like the runners with the long legs exactly you can kind (laughs) of look at it this way and i'm sure there's a pain physician out there who probably can explain the full science (laughs) of why but i don't know exactly why But also the myelination also plays a role. That does help with transferring the signal faster as well. We'll say why that's important later as well. Um, In the brain, as far as what's relevant to pain, a big portion of the brainstem, the thalamus, has a huge role in how pain is interpreted by the body. Essentially, the pain signals will get there and the thalamus kind of distributes where that needs to go. So it's sending it to... Sensory areas, emotional areas. It's basically the relay station for pain. The thalamus tells us so. That's how we remembered it in psych. Yes. So staying in the brainstem, you have a couple of areas that are very important in how we modulate pain and how we kind of interpret the strength of the signal. So your periaqueductal gray, a.k.a. PAG. I've been having a great time reading and keep saying PAG. I think it's fun. Also, the RAF nucleus and the reticular formation. These structures, like I said, are in the brainstem and they aid in modulating pain before the signals get sent up higher into higher brain areas. 
So this is usually done through endogenous opioids, and we'll talk about more about how we decrease pain. Ooh, endogenous opioids are your favorite. Yeah, I love <laughs> I love endogenous opioids. So how exactly is pain transmitted? So first of all, I do want to do an episode on pain. I just need to read up a lot more before I feel comfortable doing this. But basically, a really rudimentary aspect of pain is it's either damage to tissue or a mechanical or chemical stimulation of free nerve endings. Essentially, that's how nociception happens and how you sense pain. Again, it's very basic, and there's a lot more complex definitions of pain and how pain happens, but for this podcast, I think going basic will be good. We're here to break it down for you. That's what we're doing. Exactly. So this signal from the free nerve endings... Again, since we're talking about pain, it's probably coming from the A-deltas or the C-fibers. Get sent to the dorsal horn of the spinal cord. So this is where all the all that afferent signal is being sent to the spinal cord to go up to the brain. Wait, just really fast. So the A-deltas and A-betas, those are larger ones because the C ones are small. C yes, small. but in, when we talk about pain, it we're in particular focusing on the C-fibers and A-deltas sending the signal. Okay, so small and medium. Medium. Okay. Yeah, the you know, it's kind of like when you order a drink. You know, you don't, I mean, do I want the large? I don't want the large. I want the small or the medium. Now we're just getting off topic. <laughs> From the spinal cord, that signal then gets sent up to the thalamus. Once it's in the thalamus, now we're going to start branching off from where the signal needs to go. It's going to go to sensory sen- centers like the primary sensory cortex. Like I said, what we've found out about pain the past few years is there's a huge emotional component to how we interpret pain, and that can't be overlooked. So the thalamus is sending this pain signal to those emotional centers. And also what gets forgotten is pain's interaction with the motor system. So that thalamus is sending signals there too. So pain's being distributed across the brain to help us interpret what exactly the signal actually means to us and what we need to do about it. Another area that has to be grouped in with pain is how does inflammation play a role in pain? And obviously you're like, well, that makes sense. Inflammation and pain kind of go hand in hand, but how does that affect the nervous system? A lot of these inflammatory mediators affect the threshold of these nociceptors. So um, I think the biggest one you can think of is like substance P. It actually makes these nociceptors more sensitized to pain. So now you're already in pain. These inflammatory mediators come in, decreasing the threshold for these pain fibers to fire, creating more pain. So you can see that even though you don't think of inflammatory mediators playing a role in the nervous system, but in this case, they do. That's actually really fascinating. Yeah. Because we're talking about inflammatory mediators, we might talk about how tens might affect those. Oh, back to our whole point of this. So how does TENS actually decrease pain? You know I was going to ask that. Of course. So the basic answer and one of the first things you learn about when you learn about TENS is, of course, the gate control theory. Essentially what's happening is, as we talked about the different speeds that these nerves go at, the A-betas travel pretty fast. Well, the TENS is designed to stimulate your A betas. So the A betas get activated because of the electrical signal from the TENS unit. 
and it activates an inner neuron in the spinal cord. That inner neuron creates inhibition of pain, and it's what a lot of people don't consider is this is actually done through an endogenous opioid at the spinal cord level, and that's through enkephalin. So it's pretty interesting to think that an endogenous opioid already plays a role at such a lower level of the whole nervous system that you kind of forget about when you're talking about TENS. You really don't think that that's what's blocking that signal to the spinal cord, but that does play a role. And the A-betas are the biggest of the mechanoreceptors. Yes, those are the ones that just essentially just tell you what you're touching and what where your body's at you know, when you're touching something. So when you talk about the TENS and the gate control theory, that's kind of where you stop. You're just like, oh, yeah, it activates an inner neuron right around the spinal cord, and that's how you decrease pain. But there's actually more to the gate control theory than that. How does the brain play a role into this? Well, there's still a signal being sent up to the brain. It's not like that pain signal stopped or that even TEN signal just stopped at the spinal cord, right? You are still interpreting this signal, so it's getting to the brain somehow. And there is actual evidence that the TENS actually stimulates the PAG. That's right. The PAG is back. Again, the PAG is a, a key area to modulating pain, and especially through the route of endogenous opioids. And this is through the brainstem, right? Yes. And what's very interesting when I was reading this is when you're in your modalities class, you talk about the different ways to modulate pain. And for us, you know, level one was the gate control theory, right? And then level two and three are more of your endogenous opioids and stuff like that. But the caveat to those ones were they actually required a painful stimulus. So essentially you're putting the tens on to kind of create a painful stimulus, something that's not, you know, intolerable, right? It's a tolerable pain, but it's still uncomfortable. And then that's how you would decrease pain. These studies that found that tens activating the PAG and other um, pain modulating areas of the brainstem, it was actually a comfortable stimulus. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought was very interesting. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. I, you know, how we talked about it, you know, that never really came up. So that's kind of where seeing the support that maybe these low-level TENS, like level 1 pain modulation or the gate control theory, activates endogenous opioids in the higher centers like in the brain. And there's actually a good study that actually looked at, they put in an um, opioid blocker, so it blocked the receptors for endogenous opioids, and the minute they blocked those receptors the analgesic effect of TENS disappeared. So basically, it's linked to the receptors. There definitely is a role of endogenous opioids. Now, obviously, like we talked about, enkephalin is one of those, and that is used in the gate control theory, so that does play a role. But again, you normally don't talk about that when you talk about TENS. So I thought that was very interesting. So don't underestimate how powerful of a tool TENS can actually be when treating various conditions. Honestly, when we first learned about it, I thought it was a lot of placebo. It's funny you say that because a lot the studies that did uh, like the tens for clinical stuff, they did like tens and then they did a sham. So they did like fake tens and how then like do, a control. How do you do fake tens? So what they did was they would turn it on for like 30 seconds or so and then they would gradually turn it off. 
throughout the whole duration of the treatment. So 30 seconds it was on, and then maybe after like a minute it was completely off. So they were getting no signal, but they were told that something's still happening. It's just oh, you may okay. not feel yeah, it. Okay. And the tens was still better. So kind of like that thought, right? A lot of people just kind of write off tens like, oh, it's kind of useless. It doesn't. It actually does a lot more physiologically for decreasing pain than what most athletic trainers would initially think. Okay, so now that we are talking about clinically, let's talk about pain relief in tens specifically. Yeah, so that's kind of the big question. Like, does this actually work? And I'm sure there's a lot more studies that I, you know, I can pull up for this. And, you know, I wish I had more time to read on how effective TENS is. It was actually really cool seeing this, but... Oh, by the way, guys, um, if you're new, all of our citations on our, are on our website and um, that will be in the show notes below. So um, we'll also talk about it at the end. So in general, there's literature is pretty good saying that TENS is effective at decreasing pain. And this is for various musculoskeletal conditions like a lot of the studies that looked into this were more geared towards like gen med kind of stuff like fibromyalgia migraines and stuff like that but there is good evidence that tens does decrease pain so when we break down how we use tens right it's not just like putting pads on and turning it on right there's a lot more that goes into it and one of the things that you can kind of manipulate is the frequency um if you listened to the NEMS episode, we already kind of talked about that, but essentially the frequency is how often you're feeling that electrical impulse. So if it's a low frequency, say it's like two hertz, right? You're feeling two beats basically per second. So you're just like boom, boom. Whereas if it's a high frequency, like maybe like 180, you're getting 180 beats in one second. So it's like a constant buh. That was a nice frequency you just got there. Thank you. By the way, I don't know if you caught the voice cracking part. <laughs> I don't know if it's because it's late or if it's maybe I'm going through puberty part two. But that's a sense. Right? Hopefully that kind of made sense. Tens can help with that. <laughs> tens can probably <laughs> help with that. So going back to tens and kind of the difference in frequency, literature has shown that low frequency tens has a more diffuse area of pain relief. And what that means is it it was a broad region. It wasn't just fixed in one area. And this was shown in studies that were for migraines, headaches, and just pain, like experimental studies of stimulating pain on the forearm. So what that meant was they put the stem somewhere not exactly where the area of pain was, and they got pain relief somewhere else. So like for the migraine study, they did uh tens on the arm and it actually decreased migraine symptoms that is really cool i remember you telling me about this yeah so it just again it might go back to the role of endogenous opioids and for the forum one i thought what was really interesting was so i mean they actually did the stem on the forearm but what they found was again for low frequency it's a diffuse area so that means a broad area of pain relief they actually had increased analgesic effect on the contralateral forearm that got no stimulus. So basically what I'm getting from this is if you, for some reason, can't do TENS on this specific area, you can do a low-frequency TENS on a different area, and because it's low-frequency, it, it will diffuse the area, and it might have effects in the 
indicated area. Yes, absolutely. It could have effects all over, essentially, because the pain relief is probably happening in these higher brain centers. So any pain anywhere else might have a may not be felt as much. So you'd get a decrease in pain. And the reason this might be happening, it, it might be similar to the idea of the motor pain modulation pathway, or also known as for, for me was uh, level three pain modulation. Essentially what's happening is that low frequency, like I said, you feel beats, right? Well, those in level three or motor pain modulation, you're using the muscle contraction to decrease pain and to release beta endorphins. But that kind of stem, again, is uncomfortable. You're trying to create a painful stimulus to release those. So that's why I think low frequencies having that diffuse area, just because it kind of follows motor pain modulation. It kind of follows something similar. So that's my reasoning on why low frequency is different than high frequency it's just kind of activating those pathways just not to a painful way but for high frequency it really has shown that the most effectiveness is in the area of being you know the area that's being stimulated that's you might get a crossover effect but it's just not as strong as the area you're trying to stimulate your you know, you're trying to stimulate. So for the forearm study, it was, you know, if they stimulated the right forearm and they put the uh, painful stimulus on that one, that area had the greatest decrease in pain. Whereas the left, you might see a little bit, but it, it really wasn't that much. So there might be some crossover. What I think is very interesting is with high frequency stim, there is some support for a remote site of pain relief. So when I say remote site, like say you have low back pain, but you stimulate your leg and you're decreasing your low back pain. The reason for this is you really got to think about the gate control theory. The gate for the gate control theory is divided into segments based on the nerve root. So if you stimulate anything along the nerve root that you're trying to, theoretically, you can decrease pain. So basically what you're telling me is I have to go back to my anatomy book and look up where the nerve roots run so I can figure out what I want to. Essentially, yes, you could. But let's think about how this could be useful. Say you have an area on your leg that is in pain, but you can't do stem for it. Because of it might be an awkward area or um, it could be an open wound. You know, it could be stitches and you really can't put the stem pads there. Theoretically, you can stimulate right around where that nerve root would be. Say it's like L2 or L3 and that would still decrease the pain. Because of the gate control theory. Because of the gate control theory. Because at the end of the day, whatever nerves are in that area are terminating on that nerve root. So all you have to do is get that signal to the nerve root and you can decrease pain by the gate control theory. Nice. That's pretty wild. I it may like I'm probably I'm I'm sure I probably thought of that like in modalities class when we were talking about it, like oh yeah that would make sense. But now it's like mind blowing. I'm like that's actually true because at the end of the day, that's where the signal's going is to the nerve root, to the you know to go to the dorsal horn and all that fun stuff. 
Well, you could still stimulate the nerve root in any area that that nerve root would innervate. So this is where kind of knowing dermatomes can really help you out too. I'm just saying I'm nerding out, mind blown. So hopefully that helps help someone out there. Another area for just the clinical effect of TENS that I don't think it's looked at a lot is how does it affect arthrogenic inhibition? So in arthrogenic inhibition, right, this is where a joint is swollen and then it turns off the muscles around the joint in an order to protect it. So in studies that did experimental knee pain, so that's essentially taking someone, like taking your subject and essentially pumping in like say like a hypertonic saline solution to create pain. It essentially creates some discomfort and swelling. The TENS actually showed it decreased the amount of inhibition and quadriceps weakness present and when they did this in um, uh, an experimental pain, uh, knee pain model. So where did they end up putting the TENS? Do you remember? Was it on the area? It was basically around the front of the knee, but they tried not to put the pads on the muscle because they, they didn't want any effect on the muscle, kind of like a NEMS would, even though the obviously the frequencies and pulse widths are going to be a little bit different. So they put it mostly around the joint where it's mostly just the capsule and stuff, and that decreasing pain in that area actually helped with protecting muscle activation. Well, first of all, thank you to the people who signed up for that study because I probably wouldn't want to sit up. I'm sure they got compensated. There's <laughs> no way you do that without getting compensated. And second of all, that's pretty cool. Right, exactly. So now how does this affect in a real-world application? So let's take knee away. A lot of the studies in this were on people who had osteoarthritis in the knee. And the literature was actually mixed on how it affected them clinically. Um, there were two studies that showed improved pain improved function, and improved quad strength compared to sham, which was a subsensory TENS. They essentially turned it on for a little bit, and then it turned off, but the subjects thought it was still on. And then a control that just received therapeutic exercise, no additional TENS. And then there was also one study that showed there really wasn't a significant effect compared to the TENS, sham, and control. But what I thought was still important was at four weeks... Pain was better than in the TENS and therapeutic exercise group compared to the sham and the control. So there is some clinical utility here. So I think a lot of it is going to depend on your patients and how they feel about it, how you feel about it. Also, we've talked about a lot on the show is just because something didn't reach statistical significance doesn't mean you can't get a improvement at all. Like, I think that's what's been very important for us is these studies are going off of means, but we don't treat means. We don't treat a group of people, right? We have one patient in front of us. So even if it's a small, maybe not even statistically significant improvement, it might be important to that individual patient. Or they could be the outlier. Absolutely, they could be the outlier. <laughs> the outliers exist. And for stats, that might be terrible. But for the clinical population, that could be a good thing. And another idea that you can go off of with these, with using TENS for rehab, in these studies, they told the participants to wear the TENS as often as they could throughout the day, at least eight, around eight hours a day. So that means they're wearing it while they're walking, while they're doing their gardening or, you know, whatever daily activities were important to them. But they also wore it during their rehab. 
So they'd be doing their exercises with the TENS unit on. So what they're doing is they're going through movement in a decreased pain environment. And essentially, it's almost teaching them how to move without pain. Sometimes what happens is when you have chronic pain or when you have pain for so long and you move and you're just, oh, I feel pain all the time, your body now expects that. Your brain is anticipating, okay, well, when I move my arm this way, I have pain. So now every time I move my arm this way, I have pain. So if we can take away that pain stimulus, I moved my arm, I didn't have pain. Your brain's going to start interpreting this movement as not painful. So now you're learning how to move not in pain, if that makes sense. And you're probably skipping a bunch of the compensation that you would be making from that painful movement. Absolutely, because as we've talked about on this show before, Pain doesn't just like obviously create discomfort and make you frustrated, right? It actually changes the motor system and that's becoming more apparent, you know, with more literature coming out. So if you could take away the pain stimulus or lower the pain stimulus, your motor system might not have to change as much. We're seeing more and more that movement is beneficial after injury. So being able to move pain-free I can just imagine how much of a benefit that is for the patient. Absolutely. And you can get better loading in your rehab, which is going to lead to better outcomes. Now, again, use your clinical judgment, right? Obviously pain, we don't want pain, but obviously pain tells us something. So if there actually is structural damage from whatever injury it is, maybe you don't want to use TENS in the rehab (laughs) right away, right? Like use your clinical judgment. Obviously there's some conditions where, it doesn't appear there's the pains being structural. It could be coming from something else that tends would be tens and movement and rehab would be perfect for. But like, if you have a guy that like blew out his hamstring and you throw on tens and have him do, you know, deadlifts, that, that might be a little too much. Like let's, let's not go that route. Right. So use your clinical judgment, right? We don't want to cause more tissue damage essentially. So Use this in a way where we're not increasing tissue damage, but we're still decreasing pain and getting good outcomes from. All right, Randy, before we wrap it up, you know what I'm about to ask you. My very favorite part of our show is the action item that we're going to take away from today to change our practice. So what is it? So essentially, TENS is effective for decreasing pain and getting good outcomes in your therapeutic exercise program. Low-frequency TENS is probably going to give you more diffuse pain, so that means you're going to get a general, generalized decrease in pain throughout the body, so it could be different regions, depending on how you want to do that. And high-frequency is probably going to be more fixed to whatever segment you're trying to stimulate. I love that. Short and easy to the point. That's hard for me, man. <laughs> I think this whole thing's an action item, but I'm nerdy, so... That's why That's why she has to rein me in. She has to be like, what? okay, what actually matters? So speaking of nerdy, if you guys want to read just as much as Randy does, we have all of our citations up on our website. Like I said before, they're down in the show notes, so go ahead and scroll down to that. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and scroll to the show description. Um, You can also join us in our Facebook group. It's called AT Corner Community. It is not part of our Facebook page, so make sure you... uh, There's a link if you guys want to do that, or um, you can look up AT Corner Community on Facebook. And then if you guys are new, we do every other episode as education or stories. This was an education episode. So next week we are doing stories and we are sharing experiences from athletic trainers 
on different topics each week. If you want to submit your story, go ahead and head over to our Instagram. And every week we post questions up on our Instagram stories um, to kind of prompt you and get you ready to submit your stories that could be featured on our show. And then lastly, we do want to plug again, this is a reporting year if you're listening in the year 2021. So we have an affiliate link with MedBridge. You can use code ATCORNER to get $175 off of your subscription. That is good for a year. And so guys, check those out. They have tons and tons of videos, more than we could ever produce. Oh my goodness. The amount of educational content they have is amazing. They also have prep programs. So if you're studying for a certain credential, they actually have programming to help you prep for that. They also have certificate programs. Um, They added some new ones like vestibular rehab. That one, I was looking at that. I thought it was pretty cool. So go ahead and check that out. The link is also down below in the show notes. So Randy, do you have anything else to add? Nope. I think that's perfect. Thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye.